Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in, like you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. And now, it's time for Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Welcome back to Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast. Ooh, I just got chills. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not the good kind. No, I have a fever. Okay, I'll try to be less creepy. <laughs> An important Hollywood podcast. Mm. No, it just sounds anxious and creepy no matter what I do. <laughs> I'm going to just shut hey, up. Hey, you're Mike Sweeney, and I'm Jesse Gaskell. <laughs> yes, you are. And uh, this is Inside Conan, where we talk about uh, Conan's career on TV over the years, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and then occasionally how we're doing. Yes, which... Brings me to the hot news <laughs> that you are back in the United States after... After so long. Well, you're back home in L.A. Yes. Basically, for all intents and purposes, you've been away from home since the New since Year. Since January 1st, yes. Whoa, that is crazy. I know. Working on a one movie. Working on one movie. Dune 3. <laughs> it has it's to have been It's three parts. Dune. It's Peter Jackson. Right. I mean, I guess it's a normal length of time for a movie. I think this is longer than a normal movie because it's so action-packed. Sure. Okay. And yeah, I think I can reveal what the movie is now that it's in the the can. This is fantastic. And you can say, obviously... And I can say where I've been. Where you were, because you were were giving out clues for that. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so if you've been playing along at home... Right. I've been giving out clues for my... Whereabouts? The past eight weeks has, has it been, or for the past twelve weeks? Oh my god! <laughs> so, well, including the first part. So, the first leg. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, sorry. The first leg. Many of you correctly guessed. I was in Hawaii mm-hmm. on Oahu, and then for the second leg, for the last seven weeks, mm-hmm. I was in Paris, France. Wow! Not Paris, Texas. There are twenty-three Parises. Parisi. In the U.S. Yes, 23 of them. Yes. Weirdly, they're all in the state of Kansas, which I would <laughs> causes a lot of interstate confusion. Somebody got lazy. For Kansians. Yeah. Wow. I mean, those are two incredible locations. They're two incredible locations. And I have to say the reason that we were filming in such picturesque locations mm-hmm. is because I was working on a movie with two stars who I think basically at this point only just get to choose where they want to go and then wow solicit movies that are in those locations 
That's how it should, that's how it should be. <laughs> yes. Wow. So we're talking, hmm. well, tell us. Yeah. So it, uh, the film is Murder Mystery 2, The Squeakquel, and it stars Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston. Oh, yeah. They can go wherever they want. Yeah. They get to go wherever they want. Yeah. It's for Netflix. It has been really hard for me to understand how the movie was going to fit together because we've been shooting it piecemeal, not chronological at all. So just jumping around. Really out of sequence. Really out of sequence. Okay. Wow. But I got to see kind of a sizzle reel for it. Oh. And it was incredible. I couldn't believe how well it was coming together. There some of the most insane action sequences. It's just like full throttle wow. from start to finish. Uh, but I was really impressed with how yeah. it came together. I just, I was like, oh, wait, that that's the movie we're filming? That's crazy. <laughs> Where have I been? Yeah. Wow. And everyone was kind of had the same answer, which was, yeah, this is, that's the best part is when you finish and you get to see it. Yeah. Because it's so different from what you we're seeing along the way and that's when it feels really rewarding. I mean, that sounds like a great experience. There must be movie experiences where, yeah, I mean, we've read about them where you go to see the sizzle reel and it's, it's like, wait, where did that come from? <laughs> it's worse, you know, than, oh, yeah, than anyone yeah. expected. No, this was incredible. Wow. Well, I'm sure they have great editors. And, they do a great, um, amazing graphics team. Wow. Uh, are there, is, is there CGI in it? There is, yes. Oh, There's, so that that really must make yeah. the difference so between what difference. you're seeing, you know, when you're shooting versus totally. the final result. But they did do some real live stunts. I mean, yeah. So then, but then, you know, you have to composite that with the stuff. Right. With the actors. And so, and then it's all seamless. Right. Well, but hey, now I, I can say I got this job through Robert Smigel, essentially. Oh, who is our guest? Who introduced me to, yeah, who's our three-time guest now. Three-time guest. And he introduced... Now I see why he was on three times. Uh, exactly. It's <laughs> pay to play here on Inside Godin. Mm -hmm. He introduced me to Adam Sandler. Yeah. Who you already knew. And I didn't realize this until I started the job because you were mum about it. We did stand-up together. You did stand-up together in New York. Yeah, yeah. And, uh... He was in college. Yeah. And we would do Jersey. We'd do gigs where you drive out to New Jersey and perform in a bar. And But uh, some, someone else had a car. And you'd go, come back. And then he'd be like, ah, let's go hang out in my dorm. And I'm like, uh, sure, if I'm not arrested. <laughs> yeah. And then we'd go back, hang out in his his dorm room at NYU. It was That's so funny. It was kind of a sweet it was hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. So. And were you a lawyer at that point? Yeah, well, yeah. Or you had you... Stopped doing that. I was a trial lawyer. <laughs> yeah, no, I had stopped. Yeah, okay, I did that for three years, and then I, I was making my living doing stand up. Oh wow! Entirely. So uh, for nine years doing stand up in New York City. But that's so cool that. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, you guys kind of came up together. Uh, yeah, he came up a little faster than me. I think <laughs> <laughs> we came up together. Well, there's still time. There's still time for you to right, laugh. Right, him. right, right. That's great. Because you had worked with Robert on some of his projects. Yes, I had worked on, as we know, some Triumph remotes mm -hmm. and then a couple of other projects for Robert. He's he's also working on a movie for Netflix. 
mm-hmm. that is animated. Yeah. And Adam does one of the voices. Oh, that's great. For that movie. So I had done a couple of punch up round tables for that movie. But yeah, it's, I think it's going to be a really fun movie. Oh, good. And I am also glad to be home. Welcome home. It's got to be great to be back. Let's dive into our show. How about that? Yes, let's do it. Oh God, yes, please. This week we're joined by two Conan legends, Bill Tull and John Rao. Yes. Who, if you're a fan of the show, you might know them as the longtime prop masters. Prop, that's short for property. Little Hollywood that is, tidbit. That is some inside info there. And they've both appeared on the show many times over the years, yes. as well as yes. had to scare up many a strange prop. With 20 minutes notice yes. before the show. Man, this may sound crazy, but they were absolute two pillars of the show. Like, you'd think, oh, props, but especially on our show where we did so many sketches, they were so critical every single day we did the show and we couldn't do it without them. And they didn't flinch at anything. You could throw anything at them and they would just look at you and walk away. Two of the most can-do people I've ever met in my life. Yeah. I will say that. I think we almost stumped them with figuring out how to set up a recording of a (laughs) podcast. (laughs) That's where we got them. But we did figure it out. They got they did it together in the same house. Right, right. Which was adorable. It was. Or maybe they're living together now. I don't maybe know. John are. left his family. <laughs> they shared an office for yes. 20 something years. So that would make sense. It was the best office. If you gave a tour, if people are visiting without fail, you would always bring them to the prop room because it was... It was full of curiosities. Yes, from over the whole... It was like a museum yeah. of, of sketches we did. And uh, it always, people were always just like, oh my God. Like you pull drawers out. One is just like severed limbs. Yeah. You know, it's just rubber <laughs> half blown off heads is another drawer. And, or our favorite, the dildo drawer. Oh yeah, that was amazing. It always kept getting depleted. I don't know what was yeah, going on there. And we never actually used any in the show. We're not going to ask for names. Just if you've borrowed dildos, <laughs> please put them back by the, the end of the day. Uh, we need those dildos, folks, for sketches. Here's John and Bill. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Bill, so you started when the show began, right? In 93? Yep. Were you already working in 30 Rock? Like, did you work on the Letterman show? I worked in the Letterman show when he was in the morning. Oh. Oh. And then before Conan, I was up on Saturday Night Live. Got it. For two years. And then you just wandered down to the Conan studio. I just, I just walked in. I liked the way the band sounded. So I asked if I could have a job. The band, they, they were playing this really zany music. I said, this is going to be fun, this show. <laughs> I remember saying that to myself. That's how we all ended up there. Yeah. Unlike SNL, it was on every night. So that had to be, was that a bit of an adjustment? Like all of a sudden? Our show was was um, a lot of last minute. Late night, yes. Conan. Especially in the beginning, the writers, I think everybody was starting to know each other. You guys were writing as you walked down the hallways. Uh-huh. People would throw wads of paper at our door with a prop request on, they would leave. <laughs> John, when did you start on Conan? The end of 94, I believe. Okay, so it was still pretty early. Yeah, yeah. And then, and you know, what did you think of, what were your first oh, impressions? Fr- crazy. Of- <laughs> you know, driving around, getting a 5737911 beep on your pager. Then you had to pull over in a cab 
find a pay phone and find out what the problem, you know, what it was. And, uh, and Billy would say, you got to go here now. And then you get back to the cab. It's like you were drug dealers. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Like, it was just nuts. It's crazy. It really was. It was a lot of fun. Wow. And we have to explain to our listeners what a pager and a payphone was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You had to build your own payphone, then call on the payphone. I can I can tell you this. I didn't have an assistant for like three or four weeks. Danielle Perna, our designer, he insisted I get an assistant. That's back when we had beepers. We didn't even have phones. Uh, <laughs> like a surgeon. So there was the, so I had to go out and get props and get whatever. And then I, people were trying to reach me by a pager. Wow. It was a pain in the ass. But the show itself was just, I, I just knew it was going to be fun. Oh. I mean, the shit we were getting hit with in the beginning yeah. <laughs> was just crazy. So you were laughing, but you were also really angry at the same time. I really wasn't. I, mean, I really did enjoy the challenge. <laughs> well, do you, do you remember some of the early challenges that stick in your mind that were oh, just yeah. like... God, there's so many. Well, my favorite is the uh, Trojan horse. Yeah. Oh, what was that? First of all, we had no budget. We had no freaking money back then. So they wanted this huge Trojan horse to hide all our riders in left outside of Letterman's stage door. <laughs> right. It was a comedy bit. Conan was going to send over riders to Letterman. We were going to take over the Letterman. They were supposed to infiltrate his show. And yes. Who wrote it? Brian Rich wrote it. But you were in charge. Of it, I, I shot the whole thing and, and we had to shoot it and edit it the same day. Well, the, we, we didn't have a budget to build that thing. So I had two friends of mine in New Jersey build it in their driveway. Wait, seriously? <laughs> so, it, so it didn't have a studio, a, a, a shop a stamp on it. Everything we did in the, very, in the beginning of our show was illegal. <laughs> I think there's a statute of limitation. Right. I think we're safe. We broke every rule you could possibly break, union or building. <laughs> I love this. And I'm not kidding. I believe you. I We used to never get permits to shoot any. We never, would just go out and never. shoot. When we did the Trojan horse, we had an 18-wheel uh, dump truck that once the horse was left there, we ran through it with a dump truck. Right. And smashed it. <laughs> we backed up. We backed up. I was sitting shotgun. We backed up to 8th Avenue. And we're getting ready to go. And I look ahead of me and... Adio had not cleared 53rd Street. Oh. Jeff Adio was the uh, production coordinator at the time. Yeah. And there was a wall of people right in front of where we were going. Just to set the picture, the, first of all, this Trojan horse, can you describe how large... You said friends built it in a, in, in a driveway. That blows my mind because can you describe how huge it was? It was about 18 feet high and about 16 to 20 feet long. Oh, wow. All on wheels. And there was a door inside one of the legs where all the writers got in <laughs> before the truck hit them. Yeah, it was a functioning Trojan horse. Was there a bathroom? <laughs> no, it was a kitchen. Uh, yeah, a kitchenette. <laughs> the whole idea was we sent it from our studio, which was only three blocks away from Letterman's studio, which is now Colbert's studio, the old Ed Sullivan Theater. Right. So we pushed it across 7th Avenue down 53rd to the stage door entrance of the Letterman. Across 7th, across Broadway. Right. And so then... The end of it was, you mentioned this this giant dump truck was going to barrel down 53rd and smash it to smithereens. Oh. Correct. With the writers inside? Yep. Y yes. Yeah. Was, <laughs> they were actors, so they were expendable. <laughs> so you're saying Jeff Adio, the, the coordinator, didn't, he didn't clear 53rd Street. There was a wall of people from the from corner to corner on 53rd. It was like right in our path. Yeah, because I wanted to be on TV. So what? I, I, what? Well, I, I told the truck driver to drive back up there. So we drove back up. I said, Jeff, do you think we might want to get rid of these people? Which he did. 
Okay, so they just yelled at him like, if you don't move, you you may get run over by a dump truck. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I remember Martin Scorsese was the guest after that aired, and he just went on and on. He really liked it. Oh, was he impressed with the directing? No, but <laughs> oh, yeah. he, he just liked the, the bit. So that was sweet. Uh, yeah, so a lot of stuff was built illegally back then. I didn't know oh, that. Oh, shit, yeah. All of it. Remember, the catap- <laughs> remember the catapults? No. The catapults, they, they called for a meeting in the, in the uh, conference room on 7 or 9, whatever the hell floor we were on, after work on a Friday. Okay. On Monday morning, they wanted to have that uh, they wanted to somehow drop gummy worms over the whole audience. Uh-huh. So I, I'm sitting down at one end of the table and Jeff Ross is up at the other end. Our producer. And I'm thinking, and, and literally in about three minutes, I calculated how to build a catapult that would throw gummy worms. I went to New Jersey to our stage manager's house, built it that weekend, dropped it off in the city on my way back through to Long Island where I lived. And then Monday morning, we set it up. And when we let the, the uh, catapult go with the gummy worms on it, yeah. They flew about eight feet and landed on the floor in front of the house band. <laughs> so I was worried it was going to go the other way and be so powerful that they took someone's eye that's out. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> so I'm sitting there and, and I said, don't worry about it. It was just, just a couple of adjustments. And I went back and I tightened up the bungee cords to give it more power. Yeah. For the live show, they went back Uh-oh. eight feet in front of the band again. <laughs> no, no change, no nothing. And Conan stands up. He puts both hands on the desk, leans over, and he goes, let's hear it for the crappiest catapults on television. <laughs> Jersey built. The next morning, they wanted to do this Bluebird of Happiness. A bit called the Bluebird of Happiness? Okay. Yeah, and it's it's supposed to fly in and land on somebody's shoulder. I think Mike Gordon. Okay. So they're all going, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And I, from the other end of the table, I go, well, I got catapults. <laughs> uh, anyway. One prop someone reminded me about, uh, the Stanley Cup. Oh, yeah. The writers asked for it the night before they needed it. Smigel called me himself at my house. <laughs> Robert Smigel, <laughs> yep. the head writer. It's never a good call. Yeah. <laughs> Eviden- evidently, the, 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 they had just won the cup and they were skating it around the uh, rink. The Rangers, I think that night, the won the, the Stanley Cup. Yeah. So they're skating it around and I get a phone call and it's Robert. He's going, Bill, can you help me out? He said, wardrobe just said they, they won't do it. <laughs> do what? Make a costume, make a Stanley Cup costume. Okay. So I said, I'll do it and um, for, the, for the next day. And we ended up, we, I, I calculated how much of the supplies we had, which almost everything. What we were missing was the cup. <laughs> and, I, and I finally found one up in the rainbow room in the catering department. But the guy in charge of the, of the uh, catering said, I'll only give you this cup to use if you can get me a date with the girl down at security. <laughs> oh, wow. I said, you are kidding, right? He goes, nope. <laughs> no. One thing I You're know. bartering. That's never a joke when a man says that. I went down oh, to the yeah. lobby and here was this girl like in a suit, really t- finely tanned. Um, and I walked up to her. I just said, are you dating anybody? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, as a matter of fact, I'm not. I said, would you be interested in dating the head of catering at the Rainbow Room? She said, sure. Uh, wait, seriously? <laughs> is this a true story? Wait, this, was this the same night that Smigel called you about? This was the next day. Okay, the next day. Yeah. You were adding the cup the next day, and it was for that night's coming show. We were building the whole thing the next day. Wow. When I was at home, I just calculated how much stuff we had. Got it, got it, got it. And it really turned out great, except we had it full size. We had five tiers, 
and then two and then three tears in the cup. Uh, Smigel wanted to see Mike Gordon's underwear. <laughs> right. Michael Gordon was a writer and he. Yes. He wore it. It, it kind of went over his head. He wore it in the parade. And it was in all the newspapers the next day. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, so it was worth the effort. I thought it was great. I loved it. It came out, it was amazing. But so what happened with the date? Yeah, that's... Did the head of security go out with the catering guy? I guess, I remember I switched cards. I said, let me have one of your cards. And then I got one of his and gave it to her. So I don't know what they did. <laughs> that was like an early Tinder. You were pioneers. <laughs> it was crazy, man. Wow, I wonder how many hookups happened in order to get props made for the show. That could be in the hundreds. It was crazy, but I'm telling you. Wow, that's amazing. And and do you remember some other early crazy, like, I don't know how we're going to get this done, but... We, had, we just came on. There was no emails. You had 12 or 13 voicemails. Oh, like you'd come in in the morning, you just... Morning and you hit play. Oh. And you scribble down 12 things that were for the, that day's show. Oh, my God. And wow. you guys wanted the... Mormons with gerbils taking them through a covered wagon, covered wagons through a diaphragm. Right. I, I don't know why, what the bit was. Diagram. Diagram but it was sorry. reenacting the Mormons. Migrating like, West. You got to tell me uh, how but, the diaphragm factors in here. Diagram. But played by, but instead of horses, it was gerbils, I think, gerbils. pulling stagecoaches. Right. right. So that was all night. And John was doing that. So we worked on that all night. You had to make gerbils. Oh, man. No, they were real gerbils. Yeah. But John was hooking up a lizard harness to one of them. And then we were going to, you could buy them at pet stores. They're like little harnesses with a string. Well, sure. And you gerbils. Can, of course, everyone knows you can harness a lizard, but not a gerbil. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've never heard of a, a lizard harness. <laughs> John's Two trying to, to get this thing done, and it's biting them. And he's screaming, yeah, but he's getting bit. And next thing I know, the, the, the hamster... Flew out of his hand and hit the deck. Well, and he was out cold. The hamster. He got knocked out, man. And John picked him up and started massaging his chest. And all of a sudden, yeah, guy brought him back. again. Oh my god! That was crazy. We knocked him right out. <laughs> well, he hit his teeth into my finger. So you did you massage him with one finger or both thumbs? Just one pinky. Okay. And you brought him back to life. Wow. Did you yeah. ever hear of something called, Mike, they called the uh, yeah. I Hate Myself Machine? <laughs> yes, I remember that. It had a mousetrap and a monkey. I don't remember it, but I have it on my notes here. I Hate Myself Machine, mousetrap game, and monkey. <laughs> Let the court note that Bill is reading from an illegal pad. <laughs> Are those notes you have from back, way back then? I made this list back in New York. We were doing so much work. Yeah. And working so many hours that we we needed to make sure we could justify the hours. Yeah. So I started yeah, yeah. making a list of the stuff we did just to have in case they asked us. Wow. Which they never did. All the <laughs> you had to prove all the illegal stuff you had made. Yeah, right. Um the I hate yourself machine. Uh I don't remember. I think it was like a Rube Goldberg contraption that you there was a big long explanation and then the scientist pushed the button and it ended up of course, a gun came up and shot him, and he died. <laughs> Best way to end a sketch. I don't know where the monkey, how the monkey was involved. I tell you, this job was fun, man. Do you remember, Mike, the day that you came in with your son and his schoolmates? <laughs> no, no, I don't. You came in with like two teachers and about 12 kids. <laughs> uh -oh. That was a class trip. I'm showing the, all the kids this stuff. Right. John's in the back by my desk looking forward, and I'm pulling stuff out of this box of body parts. Right. And I'm handing it to the kids. 
<laughs> so I didn't realize it, but I'm sticking my left hand in after I had something in my right hand and I'm holding it up in the air, giving the kid the thing in my right hand. You may not want to do that. And I look over at Rao and he's laughing and I look at my left hand and there was about a 15 inch black dildo <laughs> in, my, in my hand. You know, the kids still talk about it to this day. Yeah. <laughs> that does bring up, I think it was extra credit. Maybe after guns dildos are probably the most requested yep yeah prop absolutely was there anything else that got requested a lot remember the, remember the sheep skeleton horse testicles uh, <laughs> oh, wait oh. what was the sheep skeleton yeah they tell us about the sheep skeleton they came in on a on a wednesday around three o'clock writers or they had whoever it was right and they they wanted to do a uh a world records the next day like a bit where we introduce new world records. Yeah. Conan opens a book. He picks out a record. He goes, I think we can beat this. So it called for a sheep and then it called for a sheep skeleton. Okay. And some shears. The gag was he would start off with the live sheep with the fur on it, start to shave it. We'd throw uh, fur by his face. And then when he was done, he looked out. He had just, Oh, he shaved. He went too far. Shaved it clear. (laughs) Right. Right down to the bone. So I could I couldn't find a sheep skeleton anywhere. What? And I went and called up. I went into. Uh, I called up a friend. I said, "Is there a sheep farm in New Jersey?" And they turned me on to one. And I called them up and I said, "This is Bill from the Conan O'Brien Show. Do you bury sheep there <laughs> when they die of natural?" Sheep? They go, "Well, yeah, we do." Just wondering, no reason. <laughs> they go, "Oh yeah, we do." So I said, well, I'll, I'll call you right back. So I went into the dressing room. Conan was getting his hair done. Yeah. And I said, Conan, here's the deal. This is what they want for tomorrow. I said, I can get one, but I have to dig it up. I said, will you mind handling it? If it's a, if I dig up a skeleton out of there. Oh. He said, you're fucking crazy. He goes, but I'll do it. <laughs> the next morning at six o'clock, we're at this farm. In New Jersey. In New Jersey. I love how New Jersey's the prop state. <laughs> yeah. It's where all props come from. Yeah, you're in. You're at the farm the next morning. At the farm, I'm in their kitchen. Yeah, there's an 85 year old woman with trophies all over the kitchen for sheep, and her <laughs> son comes out who's not too happy about doing this. Yeah, and we go out into the field and we start digging with a little bobcat. We ended up getting a shitload of bones. <laughs> we were missing the lower jaw, so we had to dig another hole to find that. We found it, and Smith, our stage manager, said, "Bill, we got to go." So we got to NBC under the marquee on 49th Street. I slit holes in the plastic bags to let the gas out. (laughs) Oh, God. God. And we go upstairs. And now the guy I had working with me, Jasper, he had boiling pots of uh, hot water. We had garbage can filled with muriatic acid. We had all this shit ready to go. And we go up, we start throwing these bones in these bins in, in in the buckets. Uh huh. We broke a bunch of beer mugs and we're using the glass to scrape the fat off the bones. Oh my God. Oh. And we take them out and they're all over the scene doc. <laughs> was the sheep, are you sure the sheep was dead? <laughs> he, had a, he had a little bit of fat on him. Oh. So they're all over the scene doc. They're out in the hallway. Oh my God. Fans are blowing on them. And Je- George Mendez, the head of management, comes in and he goes, Bill, <laughs> I said, Hey, George. He goes, He holds up, holds up both of his hands. He goes, how many fingers do you see? I said, 10. He goes, that doesn't even begin to tell you how many health codes you're breaking out here. (laughs) And I remember I stood there for like 10 seconds and I just said, but George, what about the old saying that the show must go on? (laughs) And he just dropped his hands and walked away. That was the end of it. 
<laughs> I thought the end of the story was going to be that the bit got cut. Yes. Oh <laughs> no. Wait, so did you assemble that in one day for that night's show? Mark Rudolph. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah, we, was... we we gave it to the uh, scenics. Yeah, we, Mark. We brought him yeah. a research on what a sheep should look like. We couldn't find right. it. Right. <laughs> Actually, I think we used a dog skeleton to go by it. So what we did was we just glued a bunch of vertebrae onto a, a steel rod. Right. Bent the rod so it would hold the head. Then we then we just started gl- gluing like shoulder blades to the hip to the uh oh my god to the rib bones. <laughs> I remember that skeleton because it hung from the ceiling of yep. the prop room at third oh wow for years. We years. brought it to California with us, but by that time it was getting really funky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, yeah we, so we threw it out. Suddenly then started it was finally dead. To get <laughs> when, when that thing when that was done, Conan looks over at Andy and goes. We got to keep this thing (laughs) just like that. Yeah, man. We can't let this thing go away. (laughs) Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places. Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. March into spring with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered 500 megabits internet for $39.99 per month, plus a $100 gift card and price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with a free modem, free installation, and free Wi-Fi your way home. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and manage user access for all connected devices with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires May 6, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a mysterious room of long-forgotten moldy mascot memorabilia, often pitched by ad agencies, always rejected by NJM. Is it real? We may never know. But what is real is NJM's dedication to doing what's right for their customers. Astoundingly, they're proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. Learn more at NJM.com. I kind of brought it up a second ago, but um, how often would you be deep in on making a prop and then it would get cut? A lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good question. A lot of times it was like rush, rush to get it done that day. They would, they would do it three or four days later. Yeah. Right. But hey, both of you have appeared on the show uh, a number of times as well. Maybe we'll start with John. Do you remember the first time you were actually on screen on the show? It was um, John Lithgow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was singing us a kitty song, camp I believe. Song, yeah. Camp song. Oh. And all the stagehands were sitting around him. Oh, nice. And that was the first time. Oh, that's cool. That's a good one. 
That was easy because you didn't have to say anything. You had to sit there. Yeah. Yeah. There was no acting. It was a good way to get your feet wet. But then yeah. you moved on to a lot of speaking roles. Oh, yeah. I hated them. Yeah, oh, is that did? true? Oh, yeah. Because you're a good actor. You're very yeah, natural. Yeah, you're very natural. You're both good actors. You're both great. I didn't like it. Bill, did you like... Because, Bill, you were in a lot of... Sc- I didn't like it. I, I didn't like it live. I, I didn't mind the pre-tape stuff. Uh, oh, I and, 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 and towards the end of that, I got pretty okay with it, to be honest with you. Live is scary. That red... Yeah, a lot can go wrong. That red light comes on on the and camera. And reading cue cards when you never do that. Right. That's hard. That's weird. Yeah, I don't know if people realize. Yeah, like all our sketches, we'd always have cue cards. Yeah, it's very distracting. It's not easy, and I give everybody who's an actor like that credit for doing that. That great. Yeah, I mean, that's it's really hard. Not easy for me, at least. And Bill, you you did a uh, a bit that really became popular called Tull's Tips, where yeah, yeah, where the the whole idea would be like, well, it's Valentine's Day, and you know can, that can get really expensive buying stuff for Valentine's Day. Here are some money saving tips as our prop master, Bill Tull. Yeah, and then they were just quick little pre tapes. Yeah, quick vignettes of you showing cheap ways to. Uh, yeah. It got ridiculous towards the end. Yeah, there, there's. <laughs> yeah. They weren't even tips anymore. They were just silly things. Well, sometimes the tips would become more time-consuming and expensive than the original. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> there's a scraps, like you know, an outtake from rehearsal where, like, it's a classic thing where we had done Tull's tips a lot, and they always did great. You know, you start getting diminishing returns. So, like, maybe the 13th time we tried it, it was for Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> That's what I, Without going into detail, if people watch it on uh, uh, Team Coco, it's a really hilarious rehearsal outtake because none of the beats made sense. And Conan and Andy just jumped on how bad it was immediately. And, and when we were doing them, we were we were laughing. We we, do, we did them all in the prop room. And Matt O'Brien was the uh, writer. Right, Matt O'Brien was the writer at the time who was in charge of them. He'd be lowering his head, laughing with his hand over his mouth, and it was just it was ridiculous, man. So that was a good sign for you, right? You'd be like, okay, I think that one. I like those things. They were good. They were easy. They were quick. Yeah, they were really funny. The first time I was on camera, I was in the airlock, patting the top of my head with one hand and pulling a bird out of my mouth with another. <laughs> I don't remember that one. <laughs> and John, I remember another bit you did where it was just a few years ago in Baby Yoda. Oh, I wrote that. I was Jesse's I know, bit. That, that, <laughs> it was a Jesse bit. Sure. It took me a second to remember. No, no. Yeah, no, John Rao was, uh, he his acting was superb. Oof. Yes. Thank you, Jesse. You're my muse. <laughs> Conan was doing a, a Christmas manger bit and he, he wanted to reveal a Baby Yoda, but we didn't have one because you couldn't find them anywhere. It was a year that, yeah, it was. they were all sold out everywhere. Very popular. And I had written this bit about the lengths that you would go to to get the baby Yoda. And you end up finding one on the dark web, but you have to have your kidney extracted. And <laughs> That was great. That was fine. And honestly, when I wrote it, I didn't realize that you guys, it was kind of literally what you've done on the show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They've donated. That's what your career has been. Yeah. So many kidneys. <laughs> They've donated more organs and boiled down more organs. <laughs> here, here, here's something that's really not prop related, but it's prop room related. Okay. Yeah. Tell them the story about your first week there with the phones. Oh, God. John's Do you remember the roll-arounds? Oh, swings? libraries have them sometimes, too, where yeah. they're, they're shelves. It cranks. But behind them, there were relays Oh yeah. on the walls. There were a huge relay system. 
on the walls. All phone. All for phones. It was, you know, antiquated, but it was still there. They were big bundles. Big boxes. They're- probably four feet long, maybe 18 inches wide. And they were just on the wall and they weren't doing anything. Right. So we, we know of. Billy's like, why don't you take those off? I said, all right. And they were probably what, 10, 12. Yeah. So I just keep pulling these things off. Yeah. Keep pulling them <laughs> off until I get to the one that went to 6B to the local news. Right. Where they, their relay system went to their uh, satellite trucks and every on the road. Right. And I ripped that one off too. Right. Oh. And from the control room to the news desk. So the, <laughs> NBC News had a big issue. Uh, they couldn't. How did you find out that that was? Oh, they came. Oh, the management came running down. Oh. Everybody came running. Oh, what's what happened? I was like, I don't know. They're like, I don't know. I pulled some props off the wall. Yeah, it was just I, I said these we're, things. We're, we're making shelves for storage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the news, the control room she couldn't talk to the news. Control. The satellite trucks couldn't talk to the control room. We ripped all that out. Well, I ripped it all out. Wow. They had to use their pagers. Yeah, exactly. Well, did you get? Did the shelf? Look good though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was helpful. It's more story. We had to call catering and bring catering in for the guys. Oh, it was crazy! Night. It was crazy. Oh wow! I hadn't been working there long, and I I went down to the sixth floor before the show. Oh, because I did the warm up back then, and I go down, and people are running and screaming on the sixth floor, and I'm like, "What is going on?" And and so I asked them. I said, "What's going on?" They're they're like live at five. It's it's totally down. All their phone lines are dead. They can't broadcast. We haven't missed a single broadcast in our entire history. Yeah, right. But, but yeah. it's true. These phone lines were how they communicated, as you said, with all the satellite trucks in the field. And oh, yeah. they're like, "We don't know what happened," and they're running around. And I they got these guys from AT and T who had to trace where the break was. And I think that's when they're like, it's coming from this prop room. <laughs> this woman in charge of whatever, whatever she was in charge of, she was in charge of a lot. She came in that prop room. And I mean, she had steam coming out of her ears, man. Yeah. I'm looking over, I'm looking over at John. And he's just shaking his head. Oh and she's screaming and with yelling you. at me. She's going, what do you think you're doing? Who gave you the authority? I said, I said I'm building shelves. <laughs> Well, what I mean, why would they put such important I don't machinery know. in someone's office? I don't know. <laughs> but next to stuff was that's so was old and outdated, be, yeah. and this little one that looked kind of uh, maybe I shouldn't have taken it off. <laughs> but I will say this though: at the end of the day, about an hour after the whole thing happened, she came in the room again. Yeah, and she said, "I want to give you a hug." Okay. She said, "She goes, I can't believe that you just came right out and told me the truth." <laughs> I said, "I said." I said, no, no, no hugs, no hugs, no hugs. Wow. She did a 180 there. Well, she must have really liked the shelves. <laughs> I remember going into the prop room after you cut through those phone lines, and they were bundles, and each one had like a few hundred phone lines. Oh, my God, yeah. Sweeney. There were the cables coming everywhere. in from the ceiling. They- you cut through like, I don't know. A couple thousand phone lines. Well, there must have been a moment when that was happening that you thought this might have been important or no. This is th- this is what it was. <laughs> the major- 95, 98% of the cables came in through the ceiling. Big cables that were about four, four inches around. Yeah, across. easy. Right. So just big fat cables. And inside of those were 
hundreds and hundreds of, of wires. Right. These little copper relays. They came down and they, they fed Just these, waiting to be sawed. They fed these big panels. <laughs> yeah. What I started doing was we could get the Shelby. You cut the I first would just one. go by like four or five times a day and just rip wires out. <laughs> And throw them in the garbage. And then if there was, then if, 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 and then if nobody reported anything, I'd go and rip, I'd go rip off some more. Remember, I, I, I cut the first big cable and, and, then and nothing John, happened. John had to cut the cable. So you he were had, testing them. He had, he had to use a hacksaw. to go to jail after oh, this. But, the, but the stuff that John ripped out, which is the last part of it, yeah, it was a newer type system. Okay. Well, I didn't rip it out yeah, per se. Wow. Well, yeah. I wouldn't admit to it. No, they were beautifully sawed. I remember they were. This, you guys are going to have to get married so you can't testify against each other. <laughs> yeah. And I remember talking to you about it and you're both just like, I asked him nicely to remove these things because we needed more shelving space for our props. They didn't do it. So uh, fuck it. We took them out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. You know what? It's your can do style. It was helpful. Was I can fun. tell you that. You needed more space for all the black dildos. They used to put that prop room on the tour when they had the tour going through. Uh, oh, you mean for tourists? The VIP tour. Okay. Oh, wow. While you were there, there'd be just like tour groups passing through. Yeah. As you're working. Guys, put the dildos away. <laughs> I'm making horse testicles in a jar right now. <laughs> right. And that's what you're doing. And they're like, ah. Oh. Bill's dropping sheep fat into muriatic acid. <laughs> Just a regular day at a television show. Yeah, it's crazy. Did you ever get requests from staffers to make things that weren't for the show, but oh, that they just... Yeah. Around Halloween. Around yeah, Halloween. Of Especially Halloween, right? Because I, I was actually just looking for a dog skeleton and I realized I should have <laughs> called you guys first. <laughs> Maybe we got rid of them. Yeah. We got rid of a lot of stuff. Yeah. I You know what? I, that Saying you got rid of a lot of stuff, I'm wondering when we left 30 Rock and moved to LA, did you guys leave a lot of props and everything, take some? Everything in that prop room came to LA. Oh, okay. Everything. Including the sheep. Everything. Wow. Oh, man. Ross. Jeff said to bring it all. Okay, great. Wow. That'd be a great moving truck. So when the Tonight Show ended, that do you know what happened to all those props then? Half of them went into Bill's kitchen because we had to hide them. I, every day I'd leave like really like important things like, you know, the Texas Ranger lever. Yeah, we just start taking like, stuff. you know, old to the show. You'd like put them, put them down your pants and walk out. <laughs> no, I yeah. just put them in my car and leave. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so, great. So you were just smuggling them off piece by piece. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Just the important stuff, the stuff that we, you know. Okay. I just wanted to... Stuff we still have. We're trying to fill out the indictment against you too. So this is really <laughs> helpful to also know that you stole a lot of NBC property. So all those things that you brought to your kitchen, I guess when we landed at TBS, did they all move back there? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. I'm just curious. And where are all those things now? Are they... What, what happened when... I saw a lot of things in the dumpster as we were leaving Warner Brothers. Oh. You know... <laughs> <laughs> Most of the stuff that's important to the show, we we kept. Okay. Yeah. And it's in storage right now. I sent you pictures. All right. And uh, the other stuff, set dressing and stuff, right, you know, right, that were right. one off. that stuff, who cares? Either you threw out, you gave away, or we put outside uh, Warner Brothers and people just came and took a lot of stuff. Wow. Oh, wow. Which was, you know, the set dressing. Lance was, had a great yeah. eye. So a lot of people took things. Lance was uh, one of our scenic that. designers. Yeah, remember the, uh, the 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 masturbating bear bobble hand? Still got it. 
Oh, I remember that. His hand. Yes, instead of his oh, head bobbling. Oh, that's great. His hand bobbled yeah. down by his crotch. Flanagan made that. Did you keep that for yourself? I gave it to Mike Gordon. Oh, that's nice. Yes. Oh, did you guys make that? Bob, Flanagan. Bob, Bob Bobby Flanagan. Flanagan. Flanagan Bobby Flanagan was this this uh, artist in Brooklyn. Puppet maker. Oh, he was great. Who made so many great props. A prop maker. He was great. I used to go down there and pick up a dead dog and have to bring it back on the subway. And it looked so real. I just put it on the floor next to me <gasps> on the subway and its tongue was hanging out. It was just I dead. Oh, were people upset? And people were just looking and I just pet it every now and again and just looks. <laughs> I, I, I got pulled what do you over do? on Long Island by a cop. Yeah. And I had a pickup truck. Yeah. And it was in the back and he goes, what's wrong with that dog? <gasps> what's wrong with that dog? What? <laughs> That's how good it looked. Why did we need a fake dead dog? And why didn't you just dig one up? <laughs> Yes, he he is. Uh, he was a genius. He was amazing. He 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 was a great artist. Like we remember, we did those Jesus yes sports statues. Oh yeah. Oh, those are amazing. Yeah, my favorite is the cockfighting. Cockfighting Jesus. Cockfighting was my For favorite. For kids getting confirmed, there was a catalog that had inspirational Jesus soccer and yeah. baseball, like kind of showing kids how to play baseball and helping a kid catch a football in a game. So we we're like, oh, let's make our own, <laughs> and we had like. Jesus getting picked last in gym. Yeah. Uh, Jesus sumo wrestling. And yeah, Jesus with two kids betting on cockfights. Who he a, fought? What, what was a skater he was fighting? Tanya Harding. Oh, I didn't. I forgot that one. Playing, playing office basketball. Right. We had to stop doing those because um, Christians complained. Oh. Is that true? Really? Yes. Oh, oh, wow. We never heard that. I was like, oh, we'll be doing these for years to come. No. You were just getting the word out about Jesus. That's right. We yeah, that's all. We still have the one with the cockfighting. Oh, good. I have one, actually. Here, I, here. this is... It's the one prop I took. It's Jesus... I was looking for that. ...getting picked last in gym. <laughs> oh, well, I'll return it to you guys. You want me to read this list off to you? What's on the list? It's like a bunch of props that we built. Uh, sure. sure. It'll, take, it'll take like a minute. <laughs> I think this is a prop list. Bible with guns sticking out of it. A guillotine for satellite TV. Uh, was it a wagon. working guillotine? Yep. Yeah. Oh my satellite God. TV was rough. That was always, but it was fun. We had the uh, the uh, jetpack raccoon on a ceiling fan. Mm -hmm. The jetpack raccoon was one of my favorites. It was yeah. a raccoon that and would, would go. Screech. Yeah, it's screech on a ceiling fan. It was a taxidermied raccoon wearing a jetpack. And then I found out. Oh my God. It was a real, yeah. Yes. That appeared in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Really? Oh, my God. Yes. I think they ripped off Late Night. We gave that we gave we got that no to money. an actress. Somebody said to give it to her. Yes. Uh, um, Matt O'Brien reminded me. Amanda's, Amanda Seyfried. <laughs> she was on the show, and I guess, I guess the segment producer found out she liked taxidermied animals. So Conan on the air gave her huh. the uh, raccoon wearing a jetpack. Yeah. And Matt O'Brien reminded me of this because he ran into her somewhere two weeks ago and he asked her if she still had it. And she said, yes, she absolutely still owns it. That's great. That's funny. That jetpack was left over from Letterman. Oh, okay. Yeah, but we added to that. We added the uh, the flames coming out. Right. You, you guys were the most, you were always can do. There was so many, there were other, 
Yeah. You know, there are some people you work with where it's like, uh, nah, I don't. Uh, we can't do it. Yeah. You want that in a month? No, we can't. And you got, we'd go like, oh, we need, you know. A tauntaun to sleep in at San Diego. Right. Right. Yes. (laughs) Oh my God. That was amazing. Wow. All right. All right. Uh, Well, thank you guys for the great memories. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully there'll be more someday. This was fun, Sounds guys. good. Yeah, this was so much fun. Thanks, guys. Yes. We'd love it. Thank you, Bill and John, for joining us. I love seeing them sharing a, a kitchen together. I know. <laughs> in real life. I think that's the longest I've talked to them without having to order a prop. <laughs> which was nice, nice change of pace. I know. They seemed uncomfortable with it. I know. I know. What, what do you mean? We're just talking? You don't have to make anything. Oh, hey. Yeah. Guess what? I, I I don't know. We have a listener voicemail. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's hear it. Hi, this is Michael from New Orleans. And my question is a somewhat serious industry and show question. It seems as though the Conan writing team is a superb conglomeration of funny, motivated, anxious, smart depressives who at the end of the day work for one another and genuinely create good and interesting content. As of any profession, not every hire always works out. What does it look like when you hire someone who doesn't fit or doesn't work out? Is it like a restaurant where you cut their hours until they quit? Do you foist them upon another show? Do you say, hey, this isn't working out, maybe look for other work? I'm not interested in gossip or specifics, but I am interested in how a bad fit looks and is dealt with from the head writer perspective, but also from perhaps when one of the two of you have been the bad fit. Thank you very much. Enjoy your guys' show. <laughs> That's a great question. That is a great question. I love it. He's like, or perhaps where you two one were of a you bad have fit. been the bad fit. Oh, thanks, mm. Michael, for your vote of confidence. He, kn- he knows too much. Although I didn't buy when he said he wasn't interested in gossip. Uh, yeah. No naming of names. <laughs> Come on. But I appreciate that he gave us the out. Thank God he gave us the out. Yeah. Well, I would have just lied and said, everyone always fits in. Uh, I like when he said, can, if someone's not fitting in, can you lob them off on another show? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, this seems a little bit more of a question for you. As a person who hired many writers. I did hire many writers. And uh, on our show, the writing group becomes very intimate. Yes. Uh, I don't mean, you know, intimate, intimate. Okay, yeah. No one does. We spend all day together in a room, fully clothed. Yes. But (laughs) he hits on something. Like, the chemistry is really important. Mm -hmm. It does become a little family. And you try to suss that all out before you hire someone, obviously, like anywhere. But uh, it's especially in Conan, very rarely ever happened where it didn't work out. But, you know, I I know so many great writers who, comedy writers, who were on shows where they didn't fit in. Yeah. And they got let go. And then they went somewhere else and they were, they were the super, they're superstars. So I would say that's the big point. Right. The fit kind of goes both ways, too. It's not just exactly. them fitting in. It's yes, it's the show being a good fit for the right. type of writing that they do. And right. the other thing is a lot of stand-up comics or people who are really, really funny on their own are most funny when they're writing for themselves. And then yes. I think it, it can be kind of a shock to come to a show where you're writing for someone else's voice. And maybe that's just not the kind of writing you do. 
That's a really good point. Yeah, it, it does require, you know, these skills to kind of mesh. Or yeah, if you're used to writing for yourself, you, it's hard for you to get the voice of the quote unquote show or the host. So there's so many variables that go into that. Well, and another thing yeah. is that a lot of times shows will only, when you get hired somewhere, you are under a 13-week contract initially. Right. And that's not that much time. I mean, that's kind of a, that's a sprint. Well, I'm glad you brought it up because that is, I, I don't know if people realize that, that they have to tell you, they have to decide within nine weeks whether or not they're renewing Oh, you. wow. So it's really only nine weeks and you know that going in. And the first 13 weeks I worked at Conan, every day I just went home and I'd lie in bed going, I'm going to get fired, I'm going to get fired. Yeah. Because you don't, you just don't, you don't know. know if you're doing well. Well, in you don't know whether like people are being honest with you if they say things are going well or or they like you know what I mean. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just you never know. You have nothing to compare it to, so you're right comparing yourselves to other writers who've been there for much longer and exactly you're probably coming up short. But right, but yes, and 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 also you're you're trying to like fit in when you're starting with this group that already exists. Usually if it's an existing show that you're trying to fit in with the gang. And so it's stressful all the way around. Yeah. I mean, I never feel like I'm funny. Like having to be funny when I'm anxious is one of the hardest things for me. I know there are people who can do it. It's but impossible. Yeah. So I yeah. have to be really comfortable wherever I am before I can start being myself right. fully. That's interesting because I've noticed on Conan over the years, there were writers who'd come in and they'd kind of hold back and get the lay of the land. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like listen to the other writers. I'm just talking about in the writer's room mm -hmm. and try to like, they dip their toe in with like a joke here and there until they were more comfortable. But then there were some other writers who just seemed so fearless. They would just kind of come in and take, you know. From day one. Yeah. And it, it's just... Brian McCann. Right, Brian McCann. I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, no, or like Tommy Blotcha. But but you know what? I, I kind of love the the uh, spectrum of personalities. Yeah. That that we'd always have. I always felt, even though there's the, the personalities were so very, very different, there was a core bonding over the same kind of sense of humor and what everyone thought was funny. Yeah. For the most no, part, I, everyone. I do think you did a really incredible job with cultivating that because... I just felt like there was a, a much healthier kind of cohesion with the Conan writing staff than I had felt on right. other shows I'd worked on. It's funny because I was thinking solely of before as a head writer, when I was a writer and just I, when I became head writer, I just simply followed the template that was already there. So, which mm, was a template. So there's a template somewhere. Well, well it was just a supportive group that was in this daily foxhole and so as michael said in his question his voicemail we were all super very supportive of each other and but that yeah. was it was like that when i got there in 1995 so it was simply and i think that comes from you know conan on down just in terms of being a writer friend it was a writer friendly show yeah so i think that allowed the writers to feel comfortable with each, with each other and feel supportive of each other and not attack each other. 
And also there just wasn't time to attack each other. Yeah. Well, and it helped for me to know that there wasn't much. I mean, you said over the course of the show there, you know, it, it hadn't uh, not worked out very many times. So right. I, and I, I was aware of that because some shows have a reputation for having a high turnover. They do. And Conan, Conan's show is not that way. So yes, no. it helped to know that going in. Yeah. Again, you know, not, not working out in one show doesn't mean you're not going to leave. As a matter of fact, some people, when they, I've, I, I've known so many examples of people who are fired from the writing crew of one show. And the sting of that is so strong. It literally propels them like to crazy heights. To greatness. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I think that like if someone thinks, you know, like, hey man, I can do this. And then they get fired. Mm -hmm. They, I've seen people, they make these adjustments and they just go on to great success. That's it's, true. Yeah. I mean, I think every successful person is taking revenge for either having is. been fired yes. or having been rejected romantically. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's one of those two things. Or by a parent. Yes. Or by a parent. Revenge is always at play. Revenge is the only motivator. I know. Revenge I know. and shame. <laughs> I know if you haven't been wronged by the time you're a young adult, you're you're fucked. Yeah, no, you're not, you're you're not be going very anywhere. Very average. <laughs> you're probably like, uh, I don't know, man. Life's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, enjoy that mediocre life. Yeah. All right. Well, Michael, thank you for that voicemail. Yes. And I hope our ramblings uh, didn't really answer your question. <laughs> I hope you fell into a deep REM sleep. <laughs> Down in New Orleans. Yeah. The Big Easy. The Big Easy. Okay. Hey, the rest of you can submit questions as well. Yes. You can call us and leave a voicemail like Michael at 323-209-5303. Or you can send us a good old-fashioned email. InsideConanPod at gmail.com. And that is our show for the week. That is our show. Oh, and yeah. one more thing. Oh, yes. If you like the show. Right. I have to say it again. You can support us by rating Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast on iTunes and leaving us a review. Thank you. I think that's it. I think that's all. Yeah, we're all done. We're all completely done except for one thing. Oh. Yeah. We've never done it in French. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Je t'aime. Ah. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell. Produced by Sean Doherty. Our production coordinator is Lisa Byrne. Executive produced by Joanna Solotaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco. Engineered and mixed by Will Beckton. Our talent bookers are Gina Batista and Paula Davis. Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best. It's the Conan Show. Put on your hat. It's the Conan Show. Try on some spats. You're gonna have a laugh. Give birth to a calf. It's Conan. This has been a Team Coco production. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. 
We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.